When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Subscribe to everything at Destination Debbie over at DestinationDebbie.com and join the new patron Heisman tier. There is a new Heisman tier that you can join that is opened up over there, patreon.com backslash all gas. Get access to the Heisman tier Discord, the bonus content, etc. that is over there. So check that out if you are interested in joining that. In today's episode, we are going to do something that we do not do on this channel or this show much. We are going to do a best ball rookie mock draft. And it's coming off the heels of the trip to the Senior Bowl, but also the four-part series that I just completed talking best ball roster construction. So if you are a best ball dynasty player, you may have listened to those shows. If you haven't, go back and listen to them. I broke down my optimal best ball roster construction using a 12-team start 11, 30-man rosters, 1.75 tight end premium, start three receivers. So you can mimic the league by setting it up on sleeper, ticking the box to three receivers, making it start 11, 30-man rosters, and changing the tight end premium to 0.75. And boom, you have mimicked the league that I did the roster construction series on, which then allows you to go through, run the war, Look at the war, look at the My League analytics, which is exactly what I use to format the roster construction. And boom, you come up with your own plan for a rookie draft. So if you're in a league or you're thinking about starting a best ball league or you're wondering how to value draft picks in best ball or how to value players in certain tiers, this is perfect. And just to recap, what I did on that show is break down my optimal number of players at each position using the 30-man roster limit but also talked through how to get there, how to build getting to that number. Do you have to be at that number all the time? The answer is no. Some of those positions, specifically quarterback and running back, I recommended a certain number, five quarterbacks, seven running backs. And I want those to be guys that have roles weekly at running back, quarterbacks that are starting weekly. But it's February. They do not have to be that today. You do not have to have that number today. The key is you're slowly building to that number and taking advantage of opportunity that comes up late in the offseason or even week to week to fill one or two of those spots at each position. So if you think about it from that perspective, if you haven't had your rookie draft and we're drafting based on the information that we have today, how would you approach it? Let's say you haven't hit those numbers. Let's say you're kind of searching what to do with your other roster spots. And that was one of the big things 
with that best ball that I learned over the past couple of years, but also that I recommended in this roster construction series. You always want to be maximizing your roster spots. Heck, a lot of leagues even expand roster spots in the offseason, and maybe it's 30-man rosters, but you can hold 35 can hold 34 and then you have to cut back down to 30 but what do i want to do with those roster spots if my roster construction isn't perfect well when it comes to tight end which the recommended number was five and when it comes to wide receiver recommended number was 13 that gets you to 30 you can stray a little bit again the theme that i talked about over those four episodes was if you were going to stray from the roster construction have a plan And part of that plan can just be, I want to cast a wide enough net at wide receiver, at tight end, to make sure that when I do get to the season, that number is ironclad with guys that fit that role, that fit that number that I'm shooting, but do it with a role that I think they could hit my lineup in week one. And then also understanding in best ball that roster turnover And grinding these last five, six roster spots every week is going to be important. The rule of having at least double the amount of players available on my team. So let's say minimum 22 players on my roster. And one of the downsides of best ball, if you play on sleeper, there's no injured reserve. There's no taxi. There's no storing players anywhere. So you have 30 man rosters. It's 30 players on your team. There's no way around it. So in that case, having a minimum of 22 viable options every week that could hit my lineup. And you may squint and go, well, every player technically could hit my lineup. But you know the running backs that are probably not going to get a lot of opportunity. You know the receivers that are the number five or number six on their depth chart going into the week. You know the quarterbacks that are probably backups, yet you're holding them because they have some dynasty ADV. So you know every week there's going to be a couple spots on your team where you go, that's probably a zero. The key is maximizing that number throughout the year, meaning you want to have as many of those shots every single week as possible. And if you use the number of double my starters, so 22, even when we have injuries and bye weeks, I'm at 22. Sounds easy on opening day. Sounds easy going into the season. It's tougher when you get to bye weeks and you have five players that are on bye. You have three players that are injured. There's probably a couple spots where you have to say, I'm cutting a player that's either on a bye or injured because I don't want to wait even a week for them to come back. But in a lot of leagues, you would go, oh, that's no big deal. They're not in my lineup. They're never going to hit my lineup. But in best ball, you may be missing out on some players that you could pick up off the waiver wire. So just something to consider. Once you're kind of building your team out, if you're doing a brand new startup, again, you don't have to be at this number right away. You don't have to leave the startup draft or the startup auction with these exact numbers. So it gives you a little freedom when you're playing it that way, but just understanding kind of where you want to get back to and how to get there, I think is very important. And for this show, we're going to do a mock draft. We're going to do a four round rookie mock draft, same settings, same format. And I'm just going to go through, and this is going to be me giving my opinion as to how I would draft it in this format. So it's best ball, it's super flex, it's 1.5 tight end premium, it's three receivers, start 11, 30-man rosters. I don't have any context, so I'm not drafting for any specific team. I'm just going through 
and drafting based on the board as I would have it right now. So it's going to be a very, I wouldn't say loose exercise, but there's not going to be any context. So there's not going to really be any, hey, I have a need here or, hey, I might not need that here. It's just going to be purely an exercise where I go through and I draft based on what I think the tiers look like right now. And the reason that I wanted to do this wasn't so much so you see the players that I'm picking, but more when you get to the back part of the draft. We have a lot of discussions in the Heisman Discord about this kind of stuff. What do I do with late seconds, thirds, fourths, roster construction? And there will be times where we do not specify best ball or lineup. There will be times where that really isn't clarified going into the discussion. And I'm always going back to these roster construction series going, well, if we get to the third round, fourth round, the guys I'm most interested in are quarterbacks, running backs, and then players that I can sell. Everything else is probably clogging my roster. Best ball league. It's the opposite, right? Probably interested in many more receivers, maybe a couple tight ends but less interested in that developmental fifth-round quarterback that in a lineup league could end up being the backup, but in a best ball league is an automatic zero until they're not. Same with the running backs. Quickly in this class, you're going to realize any running back on a 53, sure, but do I really want to make those bets in May or in this case, February? Do I want to pick which of the 12 Day three running backs are going to have actual roles to start the year. I mean, there's some degree of you have to believe in some talent. There's some degree in probably some good bets because people may fade running backs in best ball for that reason, because they're not sure if these players are going to have roles. And I can tell you, there's going to be a couple of them that end up being great picks. But that's why this exercise is fun, because I'm going to have to make the picks now. We don't have the landing spot. We don't have the post-free agency depth chart views that you're going to have when these guys get drafted to certain spots. So let's roll through it. We're going to go 1 through 48. Some of these picks are not going to require any analysis. Some of these picks are just going to be pretty much the same as they would be in any format. Uh, because it's a start one, 1.75 tight end premium, we may bring a couple tight ends into the mix, but it's not going to be so excessive that you're going, there's no way this is realistic. So we'll go ahead and start. Uh, we'll go at pick one. We'll go with Marvin Harrison Jr. I do think this is a little more controversial in best ball only because quarterbacks have that retention value of I need to probably have three, four, five. A lot of people are going to treat quarterbacks like that more so in best ball that even if they have two good ones, two great ones, there's a decent chance they could consider a quarterback more in best ball just because you need to have more of them. In a lineup league, if you have two top 10 quarterbacks and you're sitting at the 101, you're probably willing to just take Marvin Harrison and say, I don't need a third QB because right there it becomes diminishing returns. Maybe not from a value perspective, but when you think about it, say I have Anthony Richardson and Lamar Jackson. I'm probably already feeling good about my QB room. I could draft Caleb Williams for the quote-unquote value, but what would I then be looking to do with Caleb Williams for the quote-unquote value? Hey, can I turn it into a top five receiver? Well, there's a top five receiver on the board. I think a lot of people would just consider taking the best skill player, passing on the QB in a lineup league. But in a best ball league, it's a little more of a controversy. But here I'm going to take Marvin Harrison Jr. one, just because it does feel like right now, without really any obvious clarity on the quarterbacks, it's a little bit deeper in terms of if I have these picks in the top five, top six, 
it feels like it's more of a scarce asset to just take Marvin. That doesn't mean that the team that has the one-on-one also has another pick where they're safe. You know, if that's the case, then it's an even easier pick if you have another pick like in the top five. But here we'll just take Marv at 101. 102, we will take Caleb Williams. Still probably the QB one off the board. Not really much else to say on that pick. Uh, number three, uh, for the same reason that I was saying before, I'll go Jaden Daniels. Uh, probably pretty much the consensus QB two. We'll see where he lands. Uh, I think there could be some landing spots that are great. There could be some landing spots where people are sour on, but given, I think his profile and his passing efficiency, he's still going to be clear QB two, unless something drastic happens uh, going into the draft process. Uh, number four, I think it gets a little interesting. Drake May's gotten some uh, hate recently. Uh, I think it's just because that we're looking for stuff to talk about and people are willing to just start nitpicking games at quarterback more so than other positions. Uh, so there's been a little buzz. I'll Drake may, may fall in the draft, but what does he fall from? Does he fall from consensus top three pick to top six, top eight? Is that really much of a fall? It's, it's almost like we're finding reasons to push Drake may down because we've had him at the consensus QB two and one Oh two, one Oh three for more than a year. And now that he's not exactly that for everybody, Ooh, his stock is falling. I'm still going to take him at 104. Uh, this could be controversial too. I could see people saying I'm, I'm not risking it on Drake May, especially if he lands in a spot that I don't love. Uh, but in a best ball league, again, the idea of being able to kind of play volume at receiver, we talked about this on the wide receiver show. Is it great to have a guy like Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze? I think Neighbors probably starts his dynasty career as a top eight receiver. Adunze, depending on where he gets drafted, probably top 15. So it's nice to have those guys, but I can make it up with volume. Whereas if I need a quarterback, it's really nice to be able to lock in another starter. Even if I have two good starters, locking one in here uh, in best ball, you're going to see that a little more often. Uh, 105, I'm going to take Malik Neighbors. I think he's a clear top five pick. Some people will be taking him 104, 103. Uh, especially lineup leagues where you already have the quarterbacks, exactly like I talked about with the Marvin Harrison situation. People will take neighbors over the other QBs if they already have two, two QBs. But here in best ball, uh, he's going to go with the 105. 106 is where it starts getting interesting. I do think Brock Bowers will go here given this tight end premium. And I can't argue with it. Reason being, and you could argue Bowers uh, interchanged with neighbors for the logic that I talked about a little earlier. You need a lot of tight ends in best ball, especially if you're one of these teams that doesn't really have a good tight end. You can play with volume, but let's say you have at least five tight ends and you're trying to just get by with a bunch of bodies, right? Taking Bowers maybe allows you to make sure that you only hit that five number. If you're betting on him being as good as everyone says he's going to be, it kills two birds with one stone. You're getting another tight end in your room, but hopefully you're getting one that's very good, which allows you to go as slim as possible. Hell, you might even be able to go to four if you have two really good tight ends. If you already have somebody like Kincaid, and then you take Bowers. That may free up a roster spot to where you say, I only need to take four. I'd still recommend five in most cases, but I think this gives you some flexibility if you're already built that way. So Bowers is the clear 106. Uh, Roma Dunze, I will take at 107. This doesn't change. I think he's the clear wide receiver three right now off the board in the class. Uh, and I think if people had to draft, they would absolutely take him right here. He's another innings eater. Talked a lot about innings eaters on the wide receiver show. Uh, so I think he would go off the board right here. 108. So 108, I think, is where it starts to get a little interesting. 
best ball for everything I've talked about in this episode so far about quarterbacks. I'm going to take JJ McCarthy. Uh, people are going to have him as a polarizing prospect, but I do think it's almost a certainty that he gets very good draft capital. And so I'm going to take him off the board here at the 108 for the justification that does he start right away? We really aren't going to know until we know where he lands, but he's going to be a starter. That's going to get opportunity and it's probably going to happen sometime in year one. So it is tempting to not take the QB, but I think he's the last of the QBs in this class. And this is going to be the key point. He's the last of the QBs in this class that get the draft capital to where the expectation is that he's starting sooner rather than later. It might take eight games. Heck, you might have to wait a year in some circumstances, depending who drafts him. And obviously when that's the case, if he's drafted to some place like the Rams, he's probably not starting right away. So he's going to be a much more polarizing pick in that case. But here, I'm assuming he goes somewhere where the plan is. He starts somewhere during the year. So I think he would go here, given he's probably the last of the quarterbacks that you can draft without risking a year-long zero. And I know there's some other guys, but again, you're starting to draft QBs that get second-round draft capital unless they go in a spot where you say there's a clear path to them starting they're probably not somebody I can pick right now with the information that we know in February. So we'll probably pick the other QBs, but the justification based on what we know right now is going to be totally different because I do not think there's another QB that has a shot uh, to get picked in the first round. I would have told you it's potentially Bo Nix, but that's the only one. I don't think any of the others are going to get first round draft capital. So with that, we are at the 109. We've exhausted the QBs. We've taken the only tight end that's going to go in the first round. So we're just going to start hitting receiver innings eaters with the 109 we're going to go with wide receiver brian thomas jr so probably just the next receiver up uh, there's a lot in this tier there's going to be a lot of opinions off the board in this tier there's probably six to eight players you could consider within the next two to three picks so if you consider this in best ball the tier break uh, i think you probably would be correct in best ball, you also have to kind of look at this range as this might be a range I want to be in, right? Think about that. This is where one of the differences in best ball and lineup comes in. If you're at the 109 through, say, the 204 in best ball, you're probably looking at these picks as, man, I can add an innings eater. Now, it doesn't mean the player is going to be good. It could be Jalen Rager. They could be Sky Moore. Like, it's possible that they just aren't that good. But even those guys, even those guys, the threshold of what it takes to be a good contributor to a best ball league is much lower. If you just end up with even somebody like Jonathan Mingo could be semi-usable in best ball. Now, was it a busted pick if you took him at the 202, 203, 204? Yeah, you don't feel good about that. You never had an asset. You never had an investment that actually matured. But if you think about the pressure of, man, I have to draft at the 109. Yeah, I can't trade back. Now, this is something to take note of if you're in best ball. This is probably not a spot you're going to be able to trade back. There's no leverage on the board. There is no QB for people to pick. Maybe they want a tight end, but there's probably only one or two more tight ends that are going to go in the next couple of rounds. So really, it comes down to what's the leverage for someone to trade up? That same threshold that makes the pressure for you to draft a little bit lower makes the pick, I think, a little less valuable in terms of being able to move back. 
unless somebody just has a preference, I think this is going to be kind of the dead zone range, but in a best ball league where I need 13 receivers, again, think back to the roster construction. I'm excited to make these picks. I'm excited to have these picks. I'm actually fine moving back from the 107, 108, maybe even the 106 if I can get multiple picks here. Lineup, no way. But best ball, yes. Best ball, I'm very interested in moving into these picks if I can get a two-for-one. 110, we're going to take Keon Coleman, probably next receiver off the board. Very good shot to be a first-round pick. Again, I'm just going to roll through these because I think all these guys are going to end up being in the same tier. So we're going to continue the wide receiver run. 111, we will go Xavier Worthy. Best ball, I think Xavier Worthy is going to be one that people prefer over a couple of the others. Is that a fallacy or not? Uh, because of his speed, because of his home run ability, who knows? But I think he's going to probably go higher than a couple others uh, given it's best ball. And there's a little bias towards maybe the profile Xavier Worthy here. Uh, last pick of the first round, we're going to go with Troy Franklin. Polarizing, I know Ray isn't super high on Troy Franklin. Uh, but again, in best ball, depending on where these guys land, um, I think there's going to be a lot of opinions here. So he's literally just the next one that comes off the board, probably from a draft capital standpoint, likely the wide receiver seven, eight off the board. So right there, there's your first round, four quarterbacks, seven receivers, and Brock Bowers. Uh, we'll kind of fly through these next two rounds because I do want to talk roster construction. And then the fourth, even though it's the fourth, this is where I think things are going to stray. The third and the fourth are going to stray from your typical draft to where I'm going to kind of go to the extremes so that everyone can kind of see where it's different in best ball or the things that I'd be trying to do with these later picks and why it differs in best ball. So 201, we're going to go back to the 201. Uh, we will go with wide receiver A.D. Mitchell. So Adonai Mitchell out of Texas, probably another guy that gets top 50 draft capital. And again, it feels like you're, pick, you're picking here. You're just grabbing an innings eater, right? A guy that's going to get capital. Don't exactly care how he scores his fantasy points. I'm really just trying to focus on hitting on a player that is going to be a viable wide receiver that can hit my lineup a few times at least as a rookie and just kind of progress on to being an innings eater. So we'll continue forward. We're going to keep taking receivers. Next pick up, we are going to go with Jatavian Sanders. This may be a little bit of a reach, but I think in a 1.75 premium, best ball the threshold again of what a guy like Jatavian Sanders has to hit is lower I don't need him to be a top five tight end this isn't a lineup league where I'm only gonna hold two and I need him to be good for me to actually consider one of those two roster spots the detriment of Jatavian Sanders in a lineup league like this as soon as I draft him if I'm sticking with my roster construction he's either my starter or my backup and a lot of people don't feel comfortable yet on him to put him in that spot. If it's best ball, he's probably one of five. He fits perfectly in a tight end room that might already have a couple reliable players. You know, guys like Evan Ingram. Maybe you have in there a Hunter Henry. You have a Kate Otten. Whatever it might look like. He fits perfectly in a tight end room like that in best ball. There's less pressure on the pick, which means someone may actually take him higher. They feel safer about taking him for that exact reason. So we hit the next tight end off the board, uh, and this is where we're really just going to kind of rip through these receivers and make sure they just come off the board based on where they're going to get drafted. So next up, I'm going to go with Lad McConkey. 
We'll see where his draft capital ends up being. After the first day of the Senior Bowl, you would have thought Lad McConkey is going to go in the first round of rookie drafts. Um, not quite, but he's going to get good draft capital. He's got a role right away, uh, and he's probably somebody that you can just ask to eat some innings for you in this spot. So 203, we'll go Lad McConkey. 204, we'll go Jalen Polk, the wide receiver from Washington. Now we're starting to get into the range where it feels like you're at the tier lower at receiver, but you're still valuing the fact that, hey, I can get a usable player. I mean, look at where uh, guys last year came from this range. Jaden Reed, Rasheed Rice, Tank Dell. I'm not even going to mention Puka because he was a fifth-round pick, but there were a lot of innings eaters that came from these ranges. There were some busts. You know, guys like Marvin Mims weren't super happy with. Jonathan Mingo weren't super happy with. But there were receivers that were in this range last year that you still were justifying picking in this range. And in best ball, you would prefer this over, if you remember last year's class, how did you feel if you took Tank Bigsby, Kendra Miller? You, know, you didn't feel good about those guys in best ball because what did they do? You were actually waiting for them to get a role. So this is where things will start to stray in a best ball super flex mock because we haven't set a running back yet, right? And I think in a lineup league, you'd start seeing people go, wait a second. I think I can get my RB one of the class. Don't know who that is. Don't know if that's one of four, five, six players, but I guarantee you somebody at this spot, the 205, would be sitting here going, okay, what running back can I take? I'm not taking a running back. You know, I'm looking at this running back class like none of them are going to get great draft capital. And if you go to mock draft database and you look at the running backs right now, the first one off the board is at the end of the second round. Blake Corum. Only running back going in the first two rounds of the draft. Then you have a couple guys going in round three. Trey Benson, Jonathan Brooks. Jonathan Brooks may not play next year. So right away, you're starting to get into the comp picks of round three and then round four and round five where this draft is just loaded with running back names. And we'll go through some of those names later. But I sit there and I look at those two rounds, rounds four and rounds five, and I see 10 running backs going off the board. Different flavors, different styles, different sizes, different skill sets, but there's a ton of them. And I'm not really comfortable venturing into those waters right now. But in a lineup league, there will be somebody going, you know what, I really like that guy. I think he's going to get late third or fourth round draft capital. I can justify taking him over a round two or round three wide receiver. And there's going to be a lot of those as well. So we're going to continue to go forward. We're not going to draft a running back. Next pick up, we're going to go Roman Wilson, wide receiver of Michigan. So 205, Roman Wilson is the pick. We'll see about his draft capital. I've heard some say he could go top 50, but I think he probably ends up somewhere in the second round. Uh, but again, that's fine for spots here. If you know a guy's going to get good draft capital, even top 75, like early round three is fine in a best ball if you're just trying to hit some innings eaters. So with that, we'll keep going at wide receiver. I mean, it literally feels like wide receivers could be endless. Uh, we'll go with Xavier Leggett, wide receiver from South Carolina. Another polarizing one. Some people don't like him. Didn't have the greatest senior bowl week, but I also think he did some things towards the second half uh, to, that were impressive. So he's a pick that probably is going to go in this range. He's going to be right in that tier with Polk and Wilson, and this is going to be another 204 to 210. It's going to be pick your poison because I think all these guys are going to get capital. Uh, you're going to be able to justify some of these guys in best ball 
And I think there's going to be a pick your poison or pick your flavor of the week here. So Xavier Leggett goes off the board at 206. I'm uh, going to keep going. We're going to go Malachi Corley at 207. Kind of similar to Leggett, different profile, but there's going to be somebody that likes him. There's going to be a team that probably likes him more than others. Uh, so he probably gets top 75, top 80 draft capital as well. Here they have him at 95. Um, I think he ends up going a little bit higher. There's some players that they have higher than him, uh, but I would tier him over those guys for right now. But I think he's in this range of he's going to get decent capital. And again, he's a receiver. He's a yak receiver. You hate to make the Debo comp, but you know we interviewed him at the Senior Bowl, and he made the Debo comp. So to say that that's a guy that you wouldn't want for best ball, probably a lie. So Malachi Corley goes off the board at 207, 208. Uh, this one's going to be controversial, but again, for best ball, a player that you literally cannot be down on no matter what. Uh, I know he got a lot of hate from the Senior Bowl for the drops and the inconsistent stuff. Uh, throughout the practices, but Devontae Walker, 208 is the pick. Listen, he's fast. He was the fastest GPS-timed receiver at the Senior Bowl. He's going to test fast, which means he's going to get decent draft capital. Even if you think of guys like Tyquan Thornton went in the first two rounds. Tyquan Thornton, nobody wanted him in a lineup league. Didn't have a great college profile. Hasn't been good in the NFL, but for best ball, you feel a lot safer going, oh, you're going to give me a second-round receiver? With sub 4-4 four, four speed in best ball? Sure, sign me up. I don't care if he has drops. I don't care if he's never going to be a target hog. Who cares? But Walker goes off the board here at the 208. 209. Now you're starting to think, all right, who's going to go next? Where can I start taking my sleeper receiver? I think this player is probably going to end up in this tier. Ricky Pearsall, MDB has him going off the board in the early third round, pick 67. Maybe that's a little higher than I thought he was going to go. But again, if he's in that range, he's going to go in this range of a best ball draft. So Ricky Pearsall goes off the board at 209. 210, we're going to keep hitting some of the senior bowl receivers. We're going to go with Brendan Rice. Uh, Brendan Rice off the board here at 102. That is at the end of the third round. I think Brendan Rice's draft capital probably could be a little more volatile than some of these other guys. But again, he's big. There's not a lot of receivers that are going to be as big and fast as Brendan Rice. And for best ball, again, you don't need him to be the target hog. I mean, think of a guy, maybe this isn't the greatest comp in the world, but think of a guy like a A.T. Perry from last year as being like the absolute floor. Even A.T. Perry towards the end of the year was usable. Guys like Andre Yoshivas, DJ Chark in the past. I know he got better draft capital, but just think of those archetypes of, for best ball, I'm not scared to take those guys. This is the dead zone for a lineup league. You start to get into the lineup leagues with these guys and you're going, they better ascend from above where they're at right now. Or I'm a little worried about that. They don't go right into roster clogger mode And here. That's just not going to be the case here. They're going to be usable. As long as they get on the field, they're going to be usable. So Brendan Rice goes at 210, 211. We're going to go Jalen McMillan, the third receiver off the board uh, from Washington, Probably, again, a day two receiver. Uh, here they have him at 92, so you're talking about towards the end of the third round, ahead of Malachi Corley, ahead of Brendan Rice, two guys that we've already drafted. So Jalen McMillan off the board at 211. And you notice a theme. Other than Jatavian Sanders, round two has been 10 receivers thus far, and then one tight end. So if you're in a best ball league and you have a bunch of second-round picks, 
and you're looking at your receiver room and you're saying, man, I'm going to probably have to do some work to get to that 13 number. Is this not the perfect draft for that to happen? There's going to be a lot of options. I mean, we've already taken Harrison, Neighbors, Adunze, Thomas, Coleman, Franklin, Mitchell, McConkley, Lugette, Polk, Worthy, Walker, Pearsall, Wilson, McMillan, Corley, and Rice. By my count, that is 17 receivers off the board. The only non-receivers we have taken have been the four quarterbacks and the two tight ends. So 17 receivers through 23 picks. Uh, and we are going to end the second round by taking one more receiver, Louisville wide receiver, Jamari Thrash. This is where it gets, I think, a little sticky, where you're going to have to be creative in terms of there's not going to be likely the capital for a lot of guys in this range at receiver. Jamari Thrash, pick 111. That is the very, very early part of round four. We're starting to get into the range where you have to probably look at the player. I know when I interviewed Jamari Thrash, he talked about his route running being his superpower. If he's a guy that can find a team where he's the fourth receiver, he's probably not going to ascend to more than that early on, but you just need him to get on the field. And if he does, then he's going to be usable for a pick here. But if you want to start calling this range the late second, the quote-unquote tier break, where you're just drafting guys because they are receivers, versus drafting receivers that you expect to be innings eaters. There's a big difference because there's a lot more receivers that I like in this class, but I'm going down and saying, okay, which ones are going to get capital? Which ones are risking going in spots where they're not going to have a role right away? You know, think about some of the receiver cores that are really loaded and you go, okay, I put this guy in that receiver room and he's the wide receiver four or wide receiver five off the board. So you're starting to get into that range. I think after Pearsall, Rice, McMillan, possibly that's where you're starting to go. Okay. It's a little more of a stretch, but again, positional value says I probably still could take receivers. If I can tell a story where they get capital or they have a role right away. So through two rounds, we have 18 receivers off the board. So with all of that said, we are finally going to break the mold and go in another direction. So we've satisfied the first two rounds 18 wide receivers, which just speaks to kind of how this class is viewed right now from a draft capital standpoint. But 301, we're going to go with Blake Corum, the first running back off the board. Probably going to go higher than this, even in best ball leagues. Uh, but just for purposes of the exercise, uh, I wanted to highlight that I didn't take him until the 301, which means me personally, the way that I play running back, I'm probably going to end up not with a lot of guys like Blake Corum or the next off the board, which is Trey Benson. Take Trey Benson at the 302. For most people, those two are going to go higher than where I'm taking them. Even in best ball, somebody is going to tell themselves a story how Trey Benson and Blake Corum are going to be the first two running backs off the board in the NFL draft, uh, and they're going to go to these amazing spots where maybe they even start right away. But we also know they could go to a spot like Zach Charbonnet last year, a spot like Kendra Miller last year, a spot like Tank Bigsby last year. And that's nice. They're probably on the depth chart, right? They get second, early third round capital. They're definitely on the depth chart. But for best ball, is that kind of a poison pill pick where unless the guy's just damn good and ends up seeding everybody on that depth chart, you may get stuck with a Kendra Miller or a Tank Bigsby. Those weren't fun in best ball. Those were zeros. But yet, you knew you couldn't cut him. You didn't want to trade him for 
the usable price during the season. Hey, I'll give you a fourth for Kendra Miller. Okay. So you just had to hold them. They had to take up one of those spots all year. And you're just praying, hey, is there a week where he might have a shot to see the field? Is Jamal Williams injured? You know, is Dearness Johnson maybe not playing this week? So Tank Bigsby might be able to get eight eight opportunities. Maybe he gets a touchdown. Like you're already to that point as a rookie. And in best ball, it feels like there's a lot more opportunities to just buy those types. Maybe not the young ones like those two, but just other opportunistic running backs that you can buy when they're having those roles. And you just don't have to pay the rookie draft prices. So I'm probably out in this range. Uh, next up, I'm going to continue to take running backs, but I'm going to go with a couple guys that I think people are going to prefer in best ball. So I'm going to go with Bucky Irving at the 303. I think people are going to see his profile in best ball and say they prefer him because he's a big play guy. Uh, we did the film room with Ray on Bucky Irving, and I didn't watch that and took away the fact that he is a big play guy. But I think there's some perception that he might be. He's probably going to get good capital, probably late day two, early day three draft capital here. He's at 103, so that's at the very end of the third round. That's into the comp picks in the third round. So, okay, capital. Uh, next up, I'm going to go Marshawn Lloyd for the same reason. Uh, was good at the Senior Bowl. He definitely looked a little different than the other running backs at the Senior Bowl, and I think he will get pretty good capital relative to this class. So Marshawn Lloyd at the 304. And I think those are the two that if you had to draft right now, in best ball, people will go, I can talk myself in the dose too. Those are two guys that are probably going to get better capital than a few of the others, but also home run, big speed, big play guys that I think would be preferred in best ball to a couple of the others. Uh, even though they're running backs, even though they're volatile, they're safe enough where I think people will feel good about those four. So Corum, Benson, Irving, and Lloyd would be the first two or first four off the board for me in this. And now I have to decide, do I want to go back to the receiver room and just start taking the next receivers off the board, or do I want to maybe take some investment picks? And I think this is where it gets a little tougher in a draft like this, is you have to know your league mates. Is there going to be a window where there's a couple guys on the board that I know that I can sell, that I know I should be able to find a team that goes, okay, I can buy into that guy, and you don't have to necessarily get a better pick but can you get a better receiver than what you have to draft to draft one of these guys? So I'm going to use some psychology with these picks because there are 12 more receivers that I would consider taking, and we're going to take more. But I'm going to pivot and start talking a little bit about not looking at this pick as what it's going to be on my team. So sure, I can look at these next two picks, and I can just say, man, there's a very good chance these picks could be zeros for me weekly. These picks could end up just being picks where I go, why did I use such a high pick? Relatively speaking, this is the 305. Why did I use that pick when I could have done so many other things with it, including probably trade for a veteran receiver if I needed one, probably trade for a veteran tight end if I needed one. If I needed to add another tight end, I bet I could trade this pick for Noah Fant and add to my stable of tight ends. But I didn't, and I made a couple picks. So I'm going to go with the first pick is going to be Jonathan Brooks, running back from Texas. Again, tore his ACL in December. Probably a pretty good chance that he's not somebody you're using much in your lineup this year, this upcoming season. Even though he's projected to get decent capital, uh, I've seen him as early as like the mid to late second here. He's going in the mid third, pick 77. Uh, but he's going to get good capital. 
could be the RB1 off the board. But here's the question. If it comes out that he's, hey, he's going to start on the pup, he's still rehabbing, and he's a rookie, what's going to be the market for him in August when he's not expected to play for the first half of the season? Probably it's going to be still around the third-round value, but people are going to be looking at their rosters and now going, okay, what's usable that I can get for him versus I want a future third? Or if I can get a future third back and pick up something usable off waivers, a.k.a. a running back that has won a role or now has moved into a role or a receiver, you kind of want to do that. So you feel like this is the dead zone where, you know, could I move this pick for a throw-in running back that I think has a lesser shot of being an asset than Jonathan Brooks, but then also a future third? And I'll just take a shot that if that running back doesn't make it, I cut him for something else, but I also kind of kick the pick to the future. It's going to be the same with the 306 as I draft running back Braylon Allen. Allen projected to go at the end of the third round here. One of the reasons I draft Braylon Allen is because someone else is going to like Braylon Allen. There's a good chance that somebody in my league likes Braylon Allen. Maybe not right now, but if he goes to a somewhat intriguing spot or does anything in camp or during the preseason, he's one of those names where other people may justify, oh, that's going to be a hammer. That's going to be a guy that just gets a bunch of touches, and I'm going to even like him in best ball for that reason. So it isn't about what Braylon Allen can do for me on the field. It's more about what can the name Braylon Allen do for me in a trade down the road. I may have to hold him for a couple months, but he feels like a guy where, you know, in August, I go, can I move Braylon Allen for a usable wide receiver? Can I move Braylon Allen for a Demario Douglas? Can I move him for maybe somebody like a Marquise Brown? Something like that. You know, maybe, maybe not. But the idea is I like the investment here. So I'm straying from what I would do from like a roster construction standpoint where I don't really want to draft running backs in best ball, but I've started this third round with six straight running backs. Now, that's not exactly how it's going to go, but for purposes of this, it kind of shows where my running back tier break is going to be. And it also shows if I'm in a draft, I'm not in a hurry to draft some of the other running backs that we're going to mention later. I mean, I'm going through the names right now. There's at least six to eight more running backs that I like that I probably want that are great. Any running back on a 53 options, but how confident are I using them given that I could buy an innings eater or one of my five tight ends or one of my 13 receivers with these picks. Again, I mentioned the Noah fan. I could go buy a guy like that. If I only have three tight ends and I'm looking at this rookie class going, oh man, I don't know. I don't know when the next tight end I'm going to take off the board. There's three or four more that could get drafted, but do I really prefer those guys over someone like Noah Fant? And I'm not even advocating paying this pick for someone like Noah Fant, but you start to immediately go through the exercise and say, all right, I could draft Audrey Estime, but then what? Would I prefer a usable player in a lineup league? I'm fine taking him. Because again, lineup league, it's any running back on a 53. I can hold him all year in the 28th spot on my team as a zero. And it's more valuable if he ever is usable versus you know what somebody like Noah Fant might be in a lineup league where I only want to carry two. So we're going to go back to the wide receiver position. We're going to look at the draft capital, and we are going to take the Shrine Bowl standout, Malik Washington, a wide receiver from Virginia. Don't know a ton about him other than what I've read over the last couple of weeks about him, but it feels like he's going to be somebody that gets early day three draft capital here, 134. So you're talking about mid to late fourth round. Uh, but just watching the highlights on him, hearing what other people have said, 
He could be a guy that even goes to the combine, rises even further, ends up in the Jamari Thrash, Brendan Rice, Malachi Corley, Jalen McMillan range. So I'm going to take him here at 307. Next up, I'm going to take Javon Baker, wide receiver from Central Florida at the 308. Kind of the same justification as Washington. Uh, Baker wasn't great at the Senior Bowl, in my opinion. I didn't really hear a lot of people talking about him negatively, but they were just kind of like, yep, he was there. He's a good player, has good pedigree, but is probably a day three pick. But again, I'm not scared to take receivers that are day three picks in a best ball league. It's starting to get to a little shaky range, but if you like him and he's a late round three, early round four wide receiver, then sure, you know, take him there. 309, we're going to go back to the running backs because I think with receivers now, there's about eight more that are on my board that I'm probably going to draft. But I think a lot of these guys are going to be preference. There's some really small guys that are going to get good capita just because of their speed or because of their special teams ability. There's a couple other guys that people like, but they're going to end up going round five, round six of the NFL draft, which means they're going to have to be in spots where you can project them to play. Would be clear roster clogger range in lineup leagues. Guys I wouldn't even touch. Unless, of course, I could say, well, everyone really, really loves this guy. And I may be able to flip him because everyone's chasing the next Tank Dell. They're chasing the next Puka Nakua. And it's funny. We say the next Tank Dell. Tank Dell was an early to mid third round pick. It's not like this guy was not a highly drafted prospect. It's just he was a questionable prospect that didn't get great draft capital, but good draft capital. For best ball, he got perfectly fine draft capital. But it was more of, well, a guy that looks like him just can't be good, a.k.a. the capital doesn't mean anything, so we're going to push him down. So the the looks of trying to find the next Tank Dell, I think, is misguided. Trying to find the next Puka is definitely a thing where people are just going to kind of ignore draft capital for receivers. Oh, he went round five. He went round six. Nah, but I really like him. Could be the next Puka. And more so, not the next Puka, but could be a usable player. So let me take him in best ball. Because I really don't need much to be a usable player in best ball. So there's going to be some other justifications for some other wide receivers uh, for that reason. So we're going to go back to the running backs. And here's where we're going to start really looking at these picks and saying, do I want to make these picks? Because understand, if you miss on these running backs here, you have zeros. If you miss on a running back here and he goes to a spot where like Izzy Abanacanda went last year, it's a zero. And now you're going to have to be going, all right, do I cut my third round pick? It sucks. But in best ball, you cannot afford Izzy Abanacanda on your roster all year. Unless you're not trying to win or not trying to contend. You have to really look at drafting yourself into those type of situations. So this is getting into that range where you are at risk of drafting this year's Izzy Abana Candace, or the guy may be Barry, may be absolutely just stuck somewhere where they're never going to have a role in year one. And that's okay. Because again, the draft capital is not going to be obvious that this player needs to do anything other than make the roster. So, kind of with the theme of Braylon Allen and Jonathan Brooks, I am going to take Will Shipley first of this range of running backs. I think he's got the Debbie name. He's got the past catching reputation that people like. So I think if there's a, a guy that I can flip that's going to be drafted probably fourth round or lower, uh, Will Shipley I would take first. Next up, I would take Ray Davis from Kentucky. RB, what is this? RB8 off the board, Ray Davis. 
every one of them has gone in the third round. I think he's going to get better capital than people expect, probably right in the range with Will Shipley, fourth round, early fourth round, which is enough for a team to probably say, all right, this guy's coming in. He's going to maybe compete with our starter. Or he's going to be the 1B to our starter. Uh, but somebody like Ray Davis can probably play multiple roles. Third down back, he can be a guy that takes carries. You know, he, he feels very much totally different players, but he feels very much kind of like a Roshan Johnson from last year. Kind of feels like what Khalil Herbert was when he came in. Same type of thing. You know, he's bigger than those guys, but you get the idea. They're slotted to come in to be backup running backs, but it could break right where they're a starter. It could break right where they have a role pretty much right away. Maybe it's not a lot of touches, but there's a role, so you could justify a spot in best ball for that same reason. So Ray Davis, he goes at the 310. Uh, next up, I'm going to keep hammering the running backs. I am going to go with none other than a guy that was not at the senior bowl, but I really like running back Jalen Wright from Tennessee. Uh, he could be somebody that rises because no one saw him at the senior bowl. I think if he would have been at the senior bowl, he might have been the best receiver there or best running back there. Uh, but nonetheless, I'll take him here at the 311 just because I do think there's going to be a little bit of like a cult community that is on him over some of the other guys that are available. And then finally, last up, I'm going to take Cody Schrader at running back. What would that be? Running back 10 in this round. Cody Schrader running back from Missouri. Probably a poor man's Ray Davis, meaning I think he gets drafted lower than Ray Davis. I think the NFL likes Ray Davis probably a little bit more, uh, but he's right there. He's probably somebody that goes in end of round four, early round five. Here he's at pick 167, which I think that could end up being higher. Uh, but him and Jalen Wright, Wright going north towards the early part of the fifth round and then Cody Schrader towards the mid to back part of the fifth round. So through three rounds, we went 18 wide receivers in the first two rounds. Then we went two more in round three, so that's 20. We went eight running backs in round three, and we had four quarterbacks going in round one. Now, you might notice something. And I think this is not going to be realistic, but I purposely did this in this mock draft to just highlight the point of what I talked about earlier. And the only pushback I think you can give me is these players, A, will never fall this far, but B, I still think I might be able to move them. And I don't disagree, but I purposely did not draft Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Spencer Rattler. Now, if you look at Mock Draft Database, they still have Knicks going in the first round. Again, I don't believe that. Uh, but they have Panics going in round two. They have Rattler going in round three. Let's just assume for purposes of this, they are all early, mid, late, somewhere in the second round. All three of them. Meaning they're going to be drafted somewhere where you either know you're going to draft them higher because they went somewhere like Washington in round two and Washington didn't take a quarterback. They went somewhere like the Raiders in round two, Minnesota in round two, Denver in round two. Those teams didn't draft a quarterback. So in that case, they're not lasting to round four. They're not lasting to round three. They may not even stay in round two. One of them may go in round one. So you're going to know. But for what we know right now, I'm not projecting any of those three to go to a spot where the team goes, they're starting right away. They may go to a spot where they compete with a guy like Sam Howe. They compete with a guy like Aiden O'Connell. And we're going to say, oh, there's no way Spencer Rattler doesn't beat out Aiden O'Connell. 
There is no way Michael Penix doesn't beat out Sam Howell. But we don't know. So that's why I put them here. So I am going to rattle them off. I'm going to go just based on the way I think the community is going to prefer them. I'm going to go Michael Penix first. I'm going to go Bo Nick second. I'm going to go Spencer Rattler third. That is the 401 through 403. And again, people are going to go, there's no way you get them late. I'm sure I'm going to get some hate from the comments about no way you're going to get these guys in the fourth. But with what we know right now, this is me highlighting that I'm not chasing non-starting quarterbacks this high. So in my best ball drafts, unless one of those things takes place where I know Bo Nix is drafted by Denver in round two and all they have is Jarrett Stidham, there's probably a good shot that he starts sooner rather than later. So that's totally going to change the trajectory of where he's going to get drafted. He's going to get pushed up probably close to the same range as like J.J. McCarthy. Probably not as high as him because McCarthy would have been, you know, a top 15 pick, but he's going to go maybe late first, early second. He's going to go in that run of receivers where you go, oh, I can get another receiver. If I pick at the 302, I'm going to take Bo Nix or I'm going to take Michael Penix or I'm going to take Spencer Rattler, depending on where they land. So this is me saying I'm not drafting that type of QB with a late first or even a second round pick right now until I know there's opportunity to play. But I would be just getting cute if I didn't take them off the board at some point. But I wanted to highlight that. That's why I let them fall to round four. So those four QBs or those three QBs go off the board uh, with the first three picks of the fourth round. Going to go back to running back. I think this guy, I might have a blind spot. So educate me on me on him. If you think that there is something that I'm missing with Audric Estime, uh, but a lot of the mocks I look at, he still gets drafted in the first three or four rounds. Probably around four pick if I had to guess. But here they have him at pick 90, which is the end of the third round. So what am I missing? Because it does feel like he's going to be just a early down grinder. Not one I love for best ball. But if he gets this capital, I mean, how could he not be the next Brian Robinson? Or he could be the next Tyrion Davis Price. You know, there's a wide range of outcomes, but if he gets this draft capital, it's hard to say I'm not interested in him. But there's also a reason that he fell. He fell behind Will Shipley. He fell behind Ray Davis and Jalen Wright and Cody Schrader. And maybe it's just a blind spot, but I look at those guys as there's a chance they have a multitude of types of roles, whereas maybe estimate, I don't see that. So if I'm wrong, let me know. But that's just how I'm perceiving it right now with what we know. Now it's the 405, and here I think you're probably sitting there going, all right, what is the best path to me to get something that's usable? Is there somebody that I look at my roster construction and say, okay, I need to take a shot there? Uh, so I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path, and I'm going to go back to tight end. I'm going to go with two back-to-back -back Big Ten tight ends. I'm going to go with Cade Stover first, uh, probably a third, fourth-round pick. They have him at pick 88 here. Now, maybe he goes a little higher. I think the one thing that we're maybe not talking about with this tight end class is there's only two guys that are the consensus, like, first two-round picks, meaning Bowers in the first, probably JT Sanders in the second. But after that, we saw how impactful last year's tight end class was. Does the NFL chase that to a degree and maybe take a couple more tight ends higher than we expect? Like here, Cade Stover, round three, pick 88. There's not another tight end that goes off the board until the middle of round four, which is Jaheim Bell. And he's six foot one. He's not really even a tight end. 
Then you have beginning of round five, late round four, a bunch of them. But you have end of round four and then round five and rounds fixed, a ton of tight ends. But we know the NFL is starting to see the tight end position a little differently. So do we see a couple of them jump a little higher for that reason? We look up, and this next guy, I'm going to draft Theo Johnson, tight end from 10 State. You see him go in round three of the NFL draft, and you go, ooh, that's higher than I've seen him mocked all year. But if he's a third-round pick, you could justify taking a shot to fill one of your five tight end spots on Theo Johnson. Now, tight ends being drafted in best ball leagues are always dangerous because there's a lofty expectation if you draft a tight end with a pick, and I mean with a pick, they have to see the field. You can't afford to go, oh, I'll just wait a year. You know, you'd better off just not drafting the tight end here, trading for a tight end on the open market that you know is going to have a role. Trade for Tyler Conklin. I'd rather trade for Tyler Conklin if I have any potential regrets on drafting one of these rookie tight ends. But I do think these two may be ones that the community prefers a little higher. So I'll take them here, 405, 406. I'm not taking any more tight ends. So if I missed one, if there's somebody that you're like, oh, you should have taken that guy in a best ball league, uh, highlight him for me, but I'm not taking any more tight ends. Uh, probably not taking any more running backs. Honestly, there's others that may be on the radar. I can see where somebody is going to want to draft somebody like Dylan Johnson, Dylan Lobb. A lot of people like Dylan Lobb because of his pass catching skills. Uh, I think you could easily justify drafting somebody like Dylan Lobb at the end of the fourth. But here's the thing. If he's a fifth rounder from New Hampshire, it's a long shot that he steps right in and has a role in the NFL. Could he? Sure. But I'm not looking at him going, that's a bet. New Hampshire running back, I'm betting, has a role on day one of his NFL career. And he's probably somebody that goes to a team where they already have somebody that looks like Dylan Lobb. And you're like, all right, is that just a dead spot pick? And again, what can I do with a fourth? There's a lot of usable players out there in best ball that I can start my roster construction by getting them versus, man, I just got to draft a rookie running back here. I have to draft Dylan Johnson or Rasheen Ali or Dylan Lobb or Isaiah Davis. I mean, there's a lot of names. I mean, there's some names that I'm even interested in. Dewan Edwards, Devi Darlings. How about Jace McClellan, Kendall Milton, Kamani Vidal. Got to interview him at the Senior Bowl. Look, there's a lot of names, but I'm to the point where I'm done taking running backs as well. So running backs and tight ends are out. We have six picks left. Let's go back to the quarterbacks. Are there any quarterbacks that you would draft? Are there any other quarterbacks that you look at? And maybe they're not going to get the capital of the top four. They're not going to get the second round capital like Knicks, Penix, and Rattler. Seven QBs off the board. Are there any other quarterbacks in best ball that you can squint and say, that guy's going to get capital where they might get a shot to start? Because we've seen you know, Desmond Ritter get a shot. We've seen Malik Willis got a shot as a rookie. Not a big one, but he got a shot. We saw Sam Howell get a shot as a second-year quarterback. Like, there's guys that get drafted round three, round four, round five that get shots. But what does that look like? And how many of them do you have to pick before you hit on one that actually gets a shot? Because here's the problem. If you draft a guy with the pick, you have to be willing to cut him if they don't have a role. So you can be creative and you can squint and go, man, I kind of like Joe Milton with a dart throw pick. I kind of like 
Michael Pratt with a dart throw pick. Maybe Jordan Travis can recover from his injury. Not one I would want to bet on, but you get the point. So you could probably squint and look at a couple more QBs. Joe Milton's probably at the top of the list and go, he's going to get a chance. But then what if he doesn't? You need to have the discipline to go, you know what? If you're taking Joe Milton here at the 407, fine. But if he is a fifth-round pick to a team where he's never going to see the field, you need to have the discipline to go, all right, cut and bait. My 407, I flushed it down the toilet. So I'm not in the business of wanting to flush it down the toilet and take that extreme risk. There may be one QB, a la Clayton Toon, Aiden O'Connell, that gets a shot from that range. But I'm not trying to predict who it is. It could be someone random. It could be someone like Carter Bradley. And you're going, there's no way I would have drafted him over three or four of the other guys, but he's the one that gets the shot. So I'm not in the QB business anymore either. So that means no more quarterbacks, no more running backs, no more tight ends. So we're going back to the receiver. I need to find six more receivers to draft. So I'm going to draft a couple here. These guys are probably going to go higher than this just because they have names, but maybe they don't because it just speaks to the number of receivers that are in this class that you potentially can take. I mean, literally we took 18 in the first two rounds. We took two more in round three, and we're going to go back to the well. We're going to go Florida State wide receiver Johnny Wilson with pick 407. Johnny Wilson, according to MDB, going off the board at pick 85. So that's mid-third round. Probably could have justified taking him earlier. I don't know if he goes in round three. He might. He's an athletic freak. He's huge. I just don't know exactly how he's going to be used. I've heard many people talk about he should probably be a slot receiver, but he's not going to look like a slot receiver to a lot of teams. So he's a very polarizing one, but you could have also justified taking him over the tight ends, maybe over Audric Estime. Uh, but he probably goes a little bit higher, but he's not off the board yet. So we're going to draft him. We're going to go Jermaine Burton with pick uh, 408. I was surprised that Jermaine Burton was not at the senior bowl. He feels like the perfect senior bowl guy. Uh, kind of feels like last year's Parker Washington where had Debbie hype, probably more of a slot only receiver. Now Parker Washington, uh, you know, ended up having a role in Jacksonville. So he was a best ball guy. They went in round six. It took about halfway through the year, but he ended up having a role. Jermaine Burton kind of feels similar, probably a fourth round pick. Again, MDB has him and Johnny Wilson in the mid third, which I, I just don't buy that. But if it happens, they're going to be in the mix with guys like Corley, Jalen McMillan, Brendan Rice, Jamari Thrash. They're going to be up with those guys if they end up getting that capital. But they have to come off the board here. If they're going to go in the first four rounds, both of those guys have the pedigree enough to where you probably would want to take them. You wouldn't want to let them go to waivers. So I need four more, four more receivers. I'm going to go Jaquan Jackson, wide receiver from Tulane. Um, I didn't really see him stand much out at the Senior Bowl, but what do I know? Like, I'm not the person where you're going, who stood out to you watching them? You know, I'm more of there, just a casual observer, but he looked okay. But he's also getting mocked to go in round six. So maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't see a big difference between him and someone like Jamari Thrash or Malik Washington. But based on this, I have to say, if, if I'm going to use this board, which I have for the entire draft, he's in the sixth round, the end of the sixth round. So it's hard to justify anything more than I'm just seeing what happens with him late in a rookie draft. Uh, same with the next pick, which is wide receiver Jordan Whittington from Texas. He was not at the Senior Bowl, but he's somebody that I think is going to be valued by the NFL and probably gets higher draft capital than what's on here. He goes right after Jaquan Jackson pick 189. So you're talking about end part of the sixth round and I'm probably just not excited about a guy that goes there 
mid sixth round, not really pumped, but I think he goes higher. I think he's going to be somebody that the NFL views as more of a like do it all type of guy, like your fourth receiver that can basically do everything, can carry the ball out of the backfield. Like it's going to have a lot of roles, not great for best ball, but think of like maybe the comp isn't fair, but like another Devin Duvernay type. And so educate me on Jordan Whittington, but I've heard a lot of people like him and he's just going to be one of those safe guys that I know probably goes round four, round five, and is going to have a variety of roles, maybe even special teams. There's some leagues where you get return points, but even return touchdowns. Uh, so I'll put him in there at pick 410. The last two I'm going to take, wide receiver Luke McCaffrey from Rice. Um, he's got the name. He's a McCaffrey. But to me, he was probably one of the more disappointing receivers. Like, he really didn't do anything that stood out to me the entire week uh, when we were in Mobile. But again, he's going pick 129 here. So you're talking about middle of the fourth round. Got to draft him. You can't let him go undrafted uh, if he goes there. And then last pick, who is the Mr. Irrelevant of the rookie draft? Uh, there's numerous guys I think you could justify. Highest drafted capital player on the board is Jacob Cowing. Uh, Jacob Cowing left the senior bowl with an injury on the last day, so haven't heard any updates on that. Uh, super small, 5'8", 165. Uh, Jacob Cowing stood out to me at the senior bowl because he's the one player that's literally the same exact size as me. Uh, and when we walked through uh, in the media portion, um, he's somebody that you could see just, you know, he's not a big guy. So, is he going to get drafted to be a returner, specialist, deep threat, whatever it is, uh, highest draft capital player on the board still. Anaya Smith, kind of the same thing. Got to interview Anaya Smith. Cool dude. Uh, have him going in the mid-fourth round here. I think you could justify a pick on him or Jacob Cowing for the same reason. Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint. Uh, he's going four picks after Jordan Whittington. Uh, not in the same mold as Jacob Cowing or Anaya Smith. I think you'd probably prefer those guys for best ball. Uh, but you never know. Rosemead Jack Saint kind of reminds you of those guys from last year, like Dontavian Wicks, like A.T. Perry, like Andre Yoshivas, where they're probably not drafted as anything other than a backup to a starting receiver. So not necessarily a great best ball pick. Sounds more like even a best ball roster clogger, uh, but at least would be somebody that would be on the radar. So my last pick, I'm going to actually go with Anaya Smith. I'll break the tie of Anaya Smith over Jacob Cowing for the reason of Jacob Cowing's injury, and I think the draft capital is going to be very similar, but I think you can go with either one of those guys to round out the draft. And again, the theme with the fourth round is forget about the quarterbacks. I put them there for a reason. All the other picks, though, Estime, the tight end, Stover, Theo Johnson, all the other receivers, Whittington, Jackson, Jermaine Burton, Johnny Wilson, Luke McCaffrey, Anaya Smith, some of the guys that I mentioned that didn't get drafted, Jacob Cowing, Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint couple other receivers that are still sitting out there that are intriguing names that you know you never know what could happen or which one of them get drafted in round five round six and they go to a spot where maybe they have an early role but the idea being what can you move those picks for when you're talking about drafting a 408 jermaine burton and you're not sure if he's going to get draft capital you have to be kind of looking at like what is my market for these picks and you have to test it in your league in a lineup league in a lineup league, if you're trying to sell players for fourths, right now there's just not a lot of players you can sell for a fourth. It's either he's usable or he's not in a lineup league. And the threshold of what it takes to be usable in a lineup league is very high. Think of a player like Tyler Boyd. He's the perfect example in a lineup league. If you have him, can you trade him for a fourth? Probably not. Maybe. But in a sharp league, no one even wants him. 12 teams start 11, 30-man rosters. 
Nobody even wants him. He's just there. DJ Chark. Probably too good to cut, but nobody wants him. Josh Reynolds. Nobody wants him. Can't even get a fourth. If you could, I would take fourths for all of those receivers. They're all roster cloggers. So in best ball, you have to test the market on the fourths. Can you get a guy like Josh Reynolds, DJ Chark, Tyler Boyd? I like those guys in best ball. I like those guys more than drafting Luke McCaffrey or Anaya Smith. So you can see where the market is flipped. Finding just a usable player. Tyler Boyd hasn't been good for three years. But I guarantee with what he's done, he probably gets a decent amount of money and isn't signed somewhere to be the fifth receiver. He's signed somewhere to be their slot receiver. Now, he may not be good, but I'd rather get that with my 410 than draft Jordan Whittington and hope he ever gets one shot to have a role like Tyler Boyd's going to be signed to get. So think about that when you're drafting late in best ball drafts. It's going to feel gross. You traded that 405 for Gerald Everett. Yuck. Who wants Gerald Everett? But he has a place in a best ball league. Whereas these rookies could have a place. You could hit on the next Puka. You could hit on the next Dontavian Wicks or Demario Douglas where you go, hell yeah, I got a guy that's worth a second now. I got a guy people like. But the odds are you're going to hit on the next Charlie Jones, Kayshawn Boutte. You know, there's a lot in there where immediately you went, damn, that's a roster clogger. And the problem is when you draft somebody you like, man, you really stole Johnny Wilson at 407. Then you realize, oh, man, he's probably buried this year. But he's Johnny Wilson. I can't cut him. I'm going to hold that Kayshawn Boutte all year. Hell, I went through when Kayshawn Boutte got arrested for the gambling stuff couple weeks ago. I still had three Kayshawn Boutes. Two of those were in best ball. Ah, oh, man, all he needs is just another year. He'll be usable in best ball. So I held the dude who was a nobody, a zero, all year because his name was Kayshawn Boutte. And you're going to do the same thing if you draft Jermaine Burton or Johnny Wilson or Luke McCaffrey. And the reality is in best ball, you do not want to hold those guys. You do not want to stack two or three of those guys on your team especially if they are names that are going to trick you into not being able to cut bait when there is usable players that can score points out there that you could either pick up or trade for. So that's my takeaway. I'm going to recap the draft real quick just so everybody can kind of get a quick view of where it was. There's some controversy in here, so I want to hear everybody talk about it. Everyone knows I love lineup strategy, but I also love the team building aspect of best ball. And I think these mock drafts are interesting because you do not see a lot of mock drafts that are done based on a best ball format only. So we'll go through picks one through 48, Marvin Harrison, Jr., Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, Malik Neighbors, Brock Bowers, Roma Dunze, JJ McCarthy, Brian Thomas, Keon Coleman, Xavier Worthy, Troy Franklin. That's round one. A.D. Mitchell, Jatavian Sanders, Lad McConkey, Jalen Polk, Roman Wilson, Xavier Leggett, Malachi Corley, Devontez Walker, Ricky Pearsall, Brendan Rice, Jalen McMillan, and Jamari Thrash. That is round two. Blake Corum, Trey Benson, Bucky Irving, Marshawn Lloyd, Jonathan Brooks, Braylon Allen, Malik Washington, Javon Baker, Will Shipley, Ray Davis, Jalen Wright, and Cody Schrader. Round three. Round four, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Spencer Rattler, Audric Estime, Cade Stover, Theo Johnson, Johnny Wilson, Jermaine Burton, Jaquan Jackson, Jordan Whittington, Luke McCaffrey, and Anias Smith rounds out the draft. Seven quarterbacks drafted. Four 
tight ends drafted running backs. We had 10 of them going around three and one win in round four. So 11 total running backs. So what does that leave us at wide receivers? Seven quarterbacks, four tight ends, 11 running backs. There's the number 26 wide receivers drafted in this mock draft, 18 of them in the first two rounds. So again, it correlates the takeaway. This draft correlates with the, I need 13 receivers in best ball. This draft is a best ball dream. Not all of them are going to hit, but if you're looking at that number on your best ball team and you're going, I only have seven receivers. This is a perfect draft to have seconds to have thirds, to maybe even have fourths. Even if you don't use the fourths on receivers, there's going to be just random receivers you can buy. Adam Thielen might be able to buy him for a fourth. Michael Thomas. Tons of options where people go, I don't even want that guy. You're going, oh, okay, best ball. I'm fine with Tyler Boyd or Michael Thomas as my wide receiver 11. Sure. So again, the theory is a little bit different. There were some hot takes and some controversy in this mock. Hopefully you enjoyed it. It's a different episode. Go back and listen to the first four episodes on the Best Ball Roster Construction Series where I talked all four positions. And maybe I'll do a little bit of a deconstruct and get some feedback on this mock and how it went and talk about that with the next episode. So with that, check out everything at Destination Debbie, DestinationDebbie.com. Join the Heisman tier, Patreon.com backslash all gas. Uh, lots of bonus content coming in there. And War Games, we'll be back. War Games, we'll be back going through uh, the new war tool. If you've checked out the war tool, uh, there's been some updates made, uh, some cool stuff that we're going to walk through on war games, but I promise war games will be back. Ray and I just need to find a time uh, to really sit down and map out how we're going to do it. We have the templates, uh, but war games will be back very, very soon. And then some new stuff coming uh, from destination Debbie uh, with potentially some new content coming, some new creators, uh, just some stuff in the works. So stay tuned for that, that I'll go ahead and sign off for the week. Beach show. Oh,